0: It's such a limited concept if you don't blow it open and totally reimagine what it can mean for people. And if you don't do that, then you're in that either either or binary, right? Like, like even terms, like I'm Jewish, I'm not Jewish. I'm in, I'm out. It, they don't fully capture the range of the experience. We have hundreds of thousands of quote-unquote members of our Jewish community, many of whom aren't Jewish.
1: Welcome to Insert Human. This is a show that is not for everyone. It's for seekers, people like you, hopefully, who are searching for solutions to your problems, the world's problems, and everything in between. The conversations to come are gonna show you how finding the truth of our humanity is the magic key to solving pretty much anything. Between my monologues, my dialogues with brilliant guests, and your good questions, you're gonna learn how to insert human into everything, and in doing so, realize a better life, One day, a better world. Mark, welcome. Thank you so, so much for uh, being my inaugural guest on the inaugural show or session of Insert Human. For the audience, I just want to tell you that the person on the other end of this Zoom call is one of my dearest friends. Uh, We don't spend tons of time together, but the time we do spend together is incredibly powerful. I've known him for, I think, over 10 years, and he is uh, not only an incredible human being, he is incredibly wise and grounded and, oh, and I forgot to mention he's a rabbi, which which just sort of, I think, says, says a lot about his total person. I met Mark when he was the head of Gann Academy, which is an excellent school here in greater Boston, and then he has since gone on to become uh, president CEO of Combined Jewish Philanthropies, which I think is one one of the largest Jewish philanthropy, philanthropic organizations. Mark, in...
0: it's the largest non technically the largest nonprofit in Massachusetts, and it's certainly one of the largest Jewish organizations around.
1: And it does, you know, Mark and I were actually talking yesterday about the context of CJP is decidedly call it Jewish, but its its purpose, its mission is much bigger than that. And and we actually wanted to, I think, start with that with that very specific conversation. of Mark, just talk to us a little bit about the mission of CJB, why it exists, as I said, what its purpose is. And then also like how that, both why, why you took the job, why you left GAN. I know you love GAN. It's, a, it's an amazing school. You know, why you took the job and how that mission know, resonated with you, aligned with you. Just love to hear hear your perspective on that.
0: Yeah, thanks, Chris. And it's so good to be with you for this inaugural episode. And any opportunity to be in conversation with you about what it means to be human, I'll take it. So, look, CJP has been around for 125 years. It's the oldest Jewish federation in the country. Kind of on the surface, what it's always been doing is playing this role as almost a central platform for keeping the Jewish community of greater Boston as strong and thriving as it could be. The question is, what does that mean? And if you actually look at our mission statement, it says that our mission is to build communities of learning and action that create a vibrant Jewish future in a better world. And you, know, you can unpack almost every one of those words, but I, I would love to just kind of, kind of deep dive into a couple of them. First and foremost, it's about community. It is about bringing people together, both to connect to one another, to build a sense of, of kind of common story And to do important and powerful and impactful work together. I think the key phrase learning and action to me is critical, both for our mission and frankly, in my mind, for what it means to be human. Part of what it means to be in a deep, authentic relationship with others is to be in a process of learning and growing and becoming. And I just want to say that's not to me just about gaining knowledge or skills, although it is about that. It's actually about your own personal human process of kind of becoming the best version of yourself you can become. And then the second is action, which is, you know, to what end? You know, it's taking that learning and turning it into something that does good in the world. And for CJP, that is about sustaining, building, creating a kind of a thriving, continuous version of the Jewish people and the Jewish community's best self which is really helping our community stay connected to where we come from, but then to translate that into where we're going. And where we're going is not only about a Jewish future, it's about making a contribution to the broader society of which we're a part, kind of in the words of one rabbi, kind of bringing our Jewish voice to bear on the conversation of humankind.
1: I couldn't help but sort of contemplate your words through the lens of my own individuality. And your individuality, knowing you as a friend, I mean, I could argue that whole construct applies to just each of us, right? Like it's not, yes, it's about a community, but you could argue it's about the community of of one. You know, like that being human is about realizing one's individual capacity, both to benefit one and to benefit those around one, however expansive that scope may be. So I guess implicit in that is my question of is the mission of CJP effectively... Your mission, my mission. You know, is like how do you think of you know?
0: Another kind of a Jewish leader, a thinker once said that Judaism is a technology for human flourishing. I
1: love which that. I love. I, love that. I mean, I
0: I think a lot of the, like philosophers of religion would say that you could use that term to describe religion at its best. Sadly, of course, religion has not always been that. It's also been a t- technology for bringing out the worst in humanity as well. That's you know. So, but I think at its best you know, for me, Judaism is our particular cultural language for a human journey. And that, you know, the one thing I would say about your comment is, there is a fundamental question about whether this human journey is fundamentally an individual one, which I'm not sure you think it is either, or whether it's, we we are fundamentally kind of in our DNA, interconnected with one another. And, um, you know, I feel like that's kind of what a lot of our modern world has lost, this deep sense of kind of interconnectedness with one another, with the earth, with, you know, with a sense of, of community and peoplehood and culture and heritage. And I feel like that's like the paradox of like, we're on a very personal individual human journey, but, you know, in a way that is deeply interconnected with a greater whole.
1: It's, it's funny. I have two like very quick reactions to that. One is I just finished chapter, I think you know this, I finished writing chapter five of my book, Technology is Dead. And it's meant to be sort of the first part of the book is about a capture of the general positive impact of technology over the decades and and i end up in chapter 5 talking about the the new order of our being is really an era of individuality and i imply the positivism of that but there's a foreshadowing around the consequences of that right and and then the second thing is is how covid we we can't not talk about the impact of this pandemic how covid has exposed inequality and with inequality, excessive individuality, potentially. Would you agree with that or?
0: What do you mean by that term individuality? Because I think it's such a loaded term.
1: That self-absorption, too many of us approaching the world, looking at the world through the lens of me versus the lens of we. And this disconnection mm. between us and us, between us and Earth, between us and you know, I describe myself as a globalist because I believe ultimately we're all related. Like the you know, countries are are, are false constructs. That like that you know, and so I, I feel like COVID in a in a in a good way has exposed this disconnection with our own truth and the truth of others and the importance of humanity. And my hope is that out of it come the new. A new perspective, a new shared view that we are we really are all in this together.
0: Got it, yes, so you really are talking about a kind of an exposure of a phenomenon that is actually problematic, but the very exposure of it hopefully could be kind of evolutionary. And I think that's true um, at our best, right? I think you know I think that is one of the powerful things about COVID is it's been in some ways incredibly democratizing. You know, the the degree to which it's hit everyone everywhere. On the other hand, I think we all know, you know, same storm, different boat. It has radically exposed inequities in our society. And as you said, it has literally physically distanced us from one another. The thing that I've been observing is this, what I would sometimes call like the kind of the COVID paradox of intimacy, or like the paradox of Zoom intimacy, which is like the very fact that I can't be physically with others has drawn me into relationship with others in totally new ways, and maybe into relationship with myself and my world, like the forced slowing down, you know, the question is, is this distancing going to ultimately open us up to our deep desire to reconnect with one another, which I think is what you're saying. And, you know, if COVID can do that, as opposed to kind of splintering us further, I think it has amazing potential, actually, to, to kind of restore our humanity in powerful ways.
1: Yeah, so I, I yeah, I, I totally, like, like, there is this, there's going to be a fork in the road where what we've learned from this experience either sustains and informs call it the next generation of our humanity or we scurry back to the way yep. we were yep. you know yep. and I, you know people ask me all the time like what's my prediction and I'm like I have no idea although I do know that humans tend to repeat themselves there's a great quote by this philosopher George Hegel who once said the only thing we learn from history is that we do not learn from history hmm. You know, we That's are a on a depressing. cycle. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's a little depressing. But, 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 you know, as you as you think to the future, what do you think's in what's, What do you think's the greatest obstacle to realizing our individual and collective humanity? Like, what's the greatest obstacle to taking the lessons from COVID and having them be, you know, effective guides to a better generation of us? a better version of us, like, or at, or at an individual level, I mean, you and I both, both interact with tons and tons of people. And we meet a lot of people who I think are effectively stuck and, you know, want something more, but don't know how to get it. Like what, what's your, what's your sort of take on that?
0: That's such a big question. <laughs> and um, it's interesting though, as you asked, as you asked it, like one word immediately came into my mind and that was fear.
1: Oh, funny. I thought you were going to say courage, which is cousin.
0: The Cousin, you know, it's interesting. I, I've been rereading this incredible book by another one of my teachers whose name is Parker Palmer, this book I called love, um, yeah, yeah.
1: You turn me Healing, on the,
0: heart, healing yeah. the Heart of Democracy. And one of the things he talks about is, you know, when we have, frankly, the courage to kind of hold our reality in its fullness, you know, inevitably there's heartbreak you know, you can't look at a world that is this broken with your eyes open and not feel a sense of heartbreak. And then Parker says, the question isn't whether the heart will break, it's how the heart will break. And he says, you know, if the heart cracks open into a thousand pieces, we're going to end up more divided. We're going to end up more fragmented. To me, that's the kind of code word for fear, pain, kind of not knowing what to do with our sense of of loss. And I think that not only impedes progress, I think it actually drives us backward. It causes us to hunker down, causes us to vilify the other, causes us to look for any excuse to sustain status quo and to not have to face the reality of how much we have to change. And then he says, of course, if the heart can crack open, you know, then it can be actually a generative heartbreak, you know, that opens us up to possibility to one another. So to me, the thing that holds us back, honestly, I observe it in myself. I don't know who doesn't you know, is like when you get that glimpse of what's possible and you get that glimpse of how much actually you need to change, you know, in the face of like this broken world, it just can be so easy to defend and protect and hunker down. And it's scary. And the question is like, can we hold our fear? Can we hold all this loss, all this grief, you know, in ways that are ultimately generative? Yeah. I think
1: you and I were talking the other day about the construct that I've I've embraced personally because I too we all suffer from fear and fear raises its head in a bunch of different ways. For me, what I, what's helped me is this idea that it's a choice that when we meet these moments of fear, macro fear, micro fear, whatever they may be, that we have a we have a chance, a choice to look at it and decide do we choose fear do we choose to embrace fear which which i think you i i can do without judgment or do we choose courage do we in that moment decide you know what i am afraid but in this at this particular juncture i'm not going to choose fear i'm choosing courage and that sort of consciousness i guess that it's a choice has really helped me it doesn't mean I always choose courage. <laughs> By the way, I was when I was riding back from your house the other day. I, I started going really fast, and I'm like, "Wait, hold on!" <laughs> and I'm like, "Mark, Mark told me about his fear of you know accidents, and you know, like, and then and then the funniest part is the Gann talk came on right after that. <laughs> oh God! Like, oh my God, I'm surrounded.
0: You you know, I think I just want to say, I think one of the things we've been talking about as you've been launching this podcast is what does it actually even mean to be human? That notion that I have a choice, kind of consciousness of myself as a choosing being, you know, I think most of the great spiritual and ethical traditions would say that is a, if not the, it certainly is a defining feature of what it means to be human, right? Is simply to rise out of my reactive nature. And my, in a sense that I'm simply conditioned and to be able to recognize, yeah, of course there is, there's, you know, there's nature and nurture and conditioning and context. And, but like that does not define me, you know, and by the way, I just want to say, I don't think you meant this, but like choosing, let's say hope over fear does not mean denying that we feel fear. Like on the contrary, actually, that is the most likely way for our fear to kind of choose us, right? It, it, it just means seeing it, feeling it, owning it, recognizing it, and just not letting our fear, you know, define us.
1: Right, right, it all, and that also for me, you know, triggers, I guess a sort of an observation I've been making a lot in my talks and my writing, and that is the nature of man wanting everything to be binary, wanting everything to be the flicking of a switch, you know, wanting, well, I, I, you know, I don't want to be afraid anymore. I just, I just want to be courageous. So how do I become simply courageous? And I think the truth of our humanity is it's not binary. It's, it's shades of gray. It's even, I'll call it sloppy and being okay with that sort of, that, that, that complexity and that spectrum, you know, like that sort of achieving what I call third, the third dimension of our existence is not a straight line. It's not It's not clean. (laughs) It's not simple. And being okay with that, like being okay with with toggling back into the fear state every now and then. You know, like it's okay. But but yeah, but people I think really struggle with they want a solution now. They want they want the opposite now.
0: That is human nature, right? I mean, we long for comfort. We long for clarity. We long for I think continuity we long for kind of one side or the other, one pole or the other of, of kind of co- complex paradoxes that simply will never, you know, ever be resolved. And, you know, I think I observe that in myself too. Like, it's just so human. And the question is, can we just learn to take one even baby step at a time into that complexity to kind of stay in that space between the poles for long enough to you know, hold the complexity of the world and of ourselves long enough to kind of grow, I would right. say a little yeah. bit, you know, I find that like, it's that also to me is a place where compassion comes from, kind of being able to be in that space, you know, with, with a sense of compassion for others who are in it with us. And because like, it's when you're on one pole or the other, it's often it's a judging place, right? Because when you're in one pole, it enables you to judge the other pole, right? Like this is like relevant for leadership and decision making. And, you know, it's like, Politics. Yeah, and the only way, it's very hard to make decisions when you acknowledge there might be more than one right way, right? And so it's just much easier to, like, build up a conscious or unconscious, like, almost vilification of the other way. It's it's self-justifying. It gives you that sense of confidence and clarity. And so to kind of be able to both, this goes back also to learning in action, like being able to hold the complexity but also act with conviction and decisiveness and not simply be kind of paralyzed in that gray is also a challenge.
1: Right, something else you just touched on, which is actually something you introduced me to years ago, which is a Parker Palmer construct. It, the The ideas of, I think he calls it circles of trust. Does, does that ring a bell? Yeah, I, I think you you gave me one of his books years ago. And, and, and I bring it up because you're you mentioning the importance of sort of those around you and, and not just compassion for yourself, but compassion for others. And this sort of what I've come to realize, again, Fueled by You and Parker Palmer, is this journey necessarily involves others, that to realize one's full humanity, you must surround yourself with circles of trust. M- must may be too strong a word, but it's essential or it's certainly opportune to, to find a community of people like-minded maybe, but certainly on the journey themselves who don't give you the answers. That's what pa- Palmer says so, so clearly, they, they don't give you the answers, but they, they simply provide the compassionate support to encourage you to, to keep growing. And, and I'd like to segue from that construct to your work at CJP, how you look at the community that you are both supporting and, and the communities of learning and action that you're trying to foster. And just and how you look at the at the future, how you look at the at the the year, or the years ahead in terms of the, of the work that the organization is trying to do. Mm. Another big question. Sorry, it's
0: a great question. <laughs> no, I, it's and what's the
1: challenge in there? Like like, yep. What are the barriers, either from your perspective out in the community, like?
0: Look, it's yeah, and it's really interesting. I mean, there there's two really fundamental, I think almost conceptual challenges to, I think, the, our work and I think probably others who are in the work of building community, especially within a particular cultural framework. In our case, it's obviously a Jewish community. But one is, you know, we're in 2020. And frankly, like notions of what Jewish identity and human identity even look like are changing so quickly that we don't have the mental models for quite making sense of our experience of the world today. And unfortunately, we're still living inside notions of identity that often actually exclude others, that often are like kind of on, you know, irrelevant. I'll give the most classic example of this, in which you've probably heard before, in kind of religious language is, you know, how many people, you know, I meet that are avowed atheists, you know, until they realize like, yeah, the God they don't believe in is also a God I don't believe in. You know, the notion of like that, even that word God, for example, which I bring up, with a little bit of hesitation because it can be alienating for people. It's such a limited concept if you don't blow it open and totally reimagine what it can mean for people. And if you don't do that, then you're in that either either or binary, right? Like like even terms, like I'm Jewish, I'm not Jewish. I'm in, I'm out. They don't fully capture the range of the experience. We have hundreds of thousands of quote unquote members of our Jewish community, many of whom aren't Jewish because that's the reality. Or, or don't self-identify as Jewish anymore. We've talked about this too. like you know, like you know you know you're like part of our community, you're on this human journey with us and you know, learning alongside me and finding meaning in Jewish wisdom. so the boundaries are breaking and the boundaries are changing, and that can be threatening by the way, and sometimes cause us to again kind of hunker down and hold on to like let's call them traditional mental models, but I think we desperately need rethinking, reimagining about kind of. What, what this thing that we call Jewish is, what, I, you know, what kind of Jewish identity in the 21st century looks like, what it means to be part of a, of a global Jewish people that is now more interconnected than ever because of travel and because of, you know, technology. You know, what does that mean for meaning and purpose in our lives, but also for our responsibility, both to the Jewish community, but also to the broader world, because the boundaries, again, are now porous. The Jewish community spent most of our history just trying to survive, you know, in a world that frankly didn't really want us to be part of it. That is not necessarily the, that that is still a fundamental existential question for us. It's not like anti-Semitism is no longer a serious issue, but there's different questions now, which is like, what does it mean for us to contribute, to kind of raise our voice as part of a kind of a community of humankind when we have opportunities, you know, that we've never had before. So the other thing I'll just say is that the institutions that were created to serve our community decades ago to like, that were built for my grandparents' generation, are not all ready to serve the community as it currently looks today. So there is a real need to like, frankly, know our community to serve it. Like who who are the people that make up our community? What are they looking for in terms of meaning, purpose and connection? And how can we very quickly, and I think about this from a TJP perspective, invest in all of our organization's abilities to kind of really adapt and evolve in new ways so that we can stay relevant and compelling. For like a new generation.
1: I mean, is there? We've, we've talked about this too. Meaning, purpose, and you said you just used the word meaning, purpose, and connection, which you know could be our the bumper sticker on our car. Although I learned the other day that bumper stickers are, have fallen out of favor. Nobody nobody uses bumper stickers anymore. But as you as you think about supporting the Jewish community, what's the? I don't know the criteria. I suppose for how you look at. I guess my question is how important is the Jewish thing? I mean, I, here, let me try it this way. Some percentage of my friends say, well, CJP is all about being Jewish. And I'm like, well, it is that, but it's actually all about improving the world. It's all about helping people, regardless of who they are, finding meaning, purpose, and connection. And so how do you sort of balance, You know, I don't know if my question is clear, how do you balance sort of the old, I guess it's the old mental model versus the new view or something?
0: Yeah, I do. It's so interesting, because even the question, the way you framed it, is back to that binary. Yeah.
1: Yeah, sorry about right? that.
0: Like, uh, it's like, it's, it's, it's okay, you phrased it in the name of your friends. Right. <laughs> I have a friend. I have a friend. Yeah, yeah, I have
1: a friend. Right.
0: To me, to be Jewish is to be human. You know, it, it, it's a false dichotomy. And I, I would say, like, we have a J in our name. Like, uh, we are unapologetically Jewish. We believe that that Judaism has a voice to contribute to the broader world, by the way, a voice of wisdom, a voice of history, a a voice of ethics. And we we think that that if you want to make the world a better place, like investing in a Jewish organization like CJP that invests in Jewish organizations that do not only serve Jews, by the way, but that that educate a next generation to care about the broader world and frankly that in many cases if you look at like Jewish vocational services Jewish family children and services like the boundaries have opened wide up in terms of whom we serve as a community but like you know that that like the Jewish community is contributing to a better world and i would also say like I would unapologetically say that people can be open to finding meaning, and I use, I use that word connect, purpose and connection, in what Judaism has to offer them. Like we are also about, the word continuity is so limited, right? It, it's really about, you and I used to talk about this, is it continuity or is it transformation, right? It was also when we were stuck in that binary too, like it's continuity in the name of transformation. It's knowing where you come from because that has something to say to where you're going and not assuming, oh, it's just the Jewish thing. You know, it's so unfortunate that so many of us have grown up with, like, I would say, like, you know, a very limited sense of what this tradition has to say to our lives. I certainly was like that, by the way, when I was growing up. I think one of the things that drew me into my work again and to CJP is, like, I grew up with a Jewish education that, that never showed me what Judaism had to say to my life. You know, then I went to great schools, and I started reading great literature and philosophy, and I was like, all these people have something to say to what it means to be human. Judaism is like, you know, bagels and locks and Hanukkah, you know, and then I actually opened a book and started reading and realized, oh my gosh, like, what was I missing? Like, the depth, the relevance, it's like, like you know, like, Judaism, Jewish thinkers, like, It's at the table. I'm sorry. It is in the conversation with the greatest thinkers, you know, in our world. But many, many people just don't see that. So if we can open that up a little bit for people and help them see that, again, it's not an either or. It's not particular or universal. It's not the past or the future. It's not like, oh, the Jewish thing or doing good in the world. It is, it has to be a kind of both end proposition.
1: Well, and, and arguably, back to what we were talking about before, like everything has to be. Both. Everything is a spectrum. Everything is a is a continuum. Everything is not is not black and white. Is not there are not the poles, the comforting poles. It all is a is an appropriate complexity that we can all work on to get to get more comfortable with. And, and one of the things I've said is in that complexity is the is the profundity is the wonder you know is is the you know all the nuances carry so much of the of the potential and and and, you know for the listeners just know i'm not jewish and i have not been exposed to the religion much although i did read a new york times sunday new york times piece years ago and at the end i said i think i want to become jewish but the reason why is not because necessarily of the religion but of the sort of the, the foundation of values and beliefs and moralities it really and this is, this is, by the way, not a commercial version for Judaism, but, but, but it's just a personal thing for me that, that it really resonates with me in terms of the desire to make a better world. And back to what we need in terms of the next generation of our humanity is more people walking the earth seeking to make a better world, uh, not simply for themselves, but for everybody. You know so last question and then I'll, I'll let you let you go is is this this is sort of a, a trite one but I'm I'm curious to know what you think so you know x years out like what's the biggest change you aspire to for CJP for the community like is it is there aware to sort of visualize the the consequence of the work your the organization is doing today out out there you know is is there a measure is there a a way you define success? And I'm sorry, that's a a trite question, but...
0: Yeah, I mean, on a very simple level, you know, to go back to your point about choice, you know, at a time when people are not going to stay engaged simply because they feel they have to, you know, there's no more, you know, again, when I was a kid, it was like, you go to Hebrew school because I went to Hebrew school. And my Hebrew school sucked, and your Hebrew school will suck. And you will do that because, of your grandparents, basically. It was, it was a, it was an association by guilt, frankly. And, and one generation later, we wake up in a world, frankly, of choice and opportunity and of kind of like spiritual cultural marketplace. And I would say kind of my vision for the future is one in which a significantly broader and more diverse range of people are choosing to engage more broadly and more deeply with Jewish life. And I use that term Jewish life, you know, to mean something very broad. I mean learning in the way that we've talked about it today, learning about where we come from and about what it means to be part of this extraordinary and diverse people. But also I mean learning in a sense that this nourishes their human journeys and that their like Jewish identity is part of their own personal becoming. And it's also about action. It's about kind of bringing Jewish community, Jewish identity to bear on full engagement and participation with our world. You know, and so I, I imagine a picture of way more diverse people engaged with Jewish life, of lifting up and shining a light on new and different voices, but ultimately that contributes to thriving institutions, new and new and legacy that are kind of humming with energy, that are interconnected with one another, and that are really part of the kind of broadening, energizing networks of communities. I sometimes call it a community of communities which I think is truer to, to who we are, by the way, as Jews and as human beings, I think it could really energize not only our community and kind of new generations of Jews, but ultimately I think that is the way that our community kind of contributes to this broader, greater Boston society of which we're a part and to our broader humanity.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's funny, as you say, as you articulated that, the context in my head was was sort of spilling over beyond the J into the yes. the wide world that that we need models of community engagement that bring in all different types of perspectives diverse you know interests whatever whatever that ultimately you know make life meaning connection and purpose for more more people and 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 I just applaud I really do applaud the work that you have done the work that CJP is doing but I but I think most importantly I applaud you uh, you are a role model for me, a, a teacher for me, a wise guide on so many fronts. Uh, you have actually in, helped me insert my own humanity into me and maybe insert human, help others insert humanity into them. And so I thank you for for being a, a dear, dear friend and a lovely human being. And thank you for being the first one to do this podcast. <laughs>
0: Well, it is true to our relationship. I've learned so much already this morning, and I feel like every time we're in conversation with one another, um, it's part of my own process of kind of learning and growth and becoming. So I just so deeply value our relationship, and I hope this will just be the continuation of a really important conversation for many, many years to come.
1: Many years, many years. All right, brother. I love you. I'll let you go. Have a good day. I'll talk to you soon, okay?
0: Okay, you too. All right, Bye. bye.
1: Thanks for listening today. If you're in search of more opportunities to realize positive change in your life or work, and you find what I have to say helpful, you can always subscribe to my show, check out one of my new salons that are weekly virtual gatherings of like-minded folks. You can read some of my writings or just listen to one of the talks that I've given around the world over the last couple of years. And you can do it all at chriscolbert.com. While you're there, make sure to sign up for my ongoing email updates. When you do, you'll receive a free copy of the first chapter of my about-to-be-published book technology is dead. Again, it's all available at chriscolbert.com. Thanks again for listening today. And I look forward to connecting more in the days ahead.